The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. As you're familiar, when we do get into the Word, I encourage taking notes. If you have the opportunity to write some things down, it gives you an opportunity to revisit those things in your own time. I trust and believe that God is speaking to you, that He's constantly speaking to you, leading you, and guiding you in His Word. And as we come together and get into the Word together here, He's definitely speaking to us. But every one of the things that He speaks to you and to me uh, has a very personal and intimate purpose. So I want to give you a few things that we're going to find in the Word this morning. A couple of things that we're going to find, you can take these things down to anticipate seeing them in the scripture. And as we get through the word, we'll find a a number of things. But these are things that stood out that I wanted to share with you. Uh, One, this has been a part of the series. So you've heard this before, but we're going to continue in that. What we need in order to resist evil. Uh, We have a call to, to live our lives as light in the darkness. I mean, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We have a call upon our lives to, to make the choices and the decisions that expand the kingdom of God and destroy the works of the devil, just like Jesus. And the scripture gives us instruction, what we need in order to resist evil. A second thing we're going to find is what God gives us. Now, that's a little vague. There's a number of things that God does give, but we're going to see something very specific that God gives to us, and I trust and believe that it's going to have an impact on uh, how we uh, interpret the scripture and how we live our lives. A third thing we're going to find is how to stay mentally healthy. How to stay mentally healthy. Now, I didn't expect people to say, oh, God, please, yes, I've been needing that. But I can just tell you, I, I need that. I mean, it's, I need that. I don't think I've ever lived in days that had more stress. I mean, I, I was having a conversation with my wife just saying, I can't believe that it's not criminal that some of the news headlines can be printed and spoken. I mean, it creates so much stress and anxiety, it's really difficult to to keep your head screwed on straight. And the scripture gives us instruction how to stay mentally healthy, and I think that's an important thing for us to understand and embrace and and pursue. So let's get into the word here. I told you we're going to find out what's needed in order to resist evil. That's at the foundation of the series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now we're going to start around verse 10. We're going to go through about verse 17. We may make a couple of stops along the way. But Ephesians chapter 6, we see the foundation of where we've been in the word. It reads like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now we've always stopped there. That's a really powerful statement. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. A lot of things are being revealed in that one statement. One, there is a devil and he has schemes, schemes against you. Two, God has equipped us to stand firm against those schemes. And three, what's needed to do that, and that is the putting on of the armor of God. We go on to see that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness in this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist when evil comes, having done what's necessary to stand firm. 
Now verse 14, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth, or putting on the belt of truth, some interpretations would say, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having covered your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith with which you're able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we've spoken about these things in order. We've spoken about the belt of truth, the the need for truth to exist in our lives in order to resist against uh, the devil's schemes. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and the devil is the father of lies. And Truth is absolutely necessary for us to stand firm in the place that God would call us to stand and not be swept away by all the schemes of our enemy. We've talked about righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, how important it is to protect your heart with the righteousness that God brings into your life through Jesus. And we've talked about the gospel of peace, the good news of peace, how that's equated as a covering for your feet, that it, it helps you to interact with all the inconsistencies of the earth. That's what my shoes do. My shoes are a platform that are between me and all of the inconsistencies of the earth. We've, we've talked about those things. We've talked about uh, the shield of faith. We spoke about that recently and its purpose to extinguish those arrows of our enemy. Now, today we've come to this piece that is referred to as the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. It's, it's one of a few elements that God says is absolutely necessary in order for us to not be swept away or overcome by the schemes of our enemy. The helmet of salvation. I want to just define salvation quickly. Because we use that word, and oftentimes we use that word when we talk about becoming a Christian. But don't confuse salvation with being born again. Jesus talked about being born again. He had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. It's in the early chapters of the Gospel of John. And he said, unless you are born again, you won't have any part in the kingdom of God. Now, we use the term salvation when we talk about that, but we we should not limit salvation to when you were born again. When I was born again, it was something that happened one time. I remember when it happened. It was years ago. I was 20 years old. I happened to be uh, locked up in in Travis County Jail when it happened. That's just part of my testimony. I can share the story with you some other time. It would just take up time this morning. But I remember that moment. I remember when it happened. I remember the effects that, that took place. And I mean, it, it was something that, that where there was a point in my life where everything completely changed. It was a one-time event. But yet God has saved me, or I have come to know God's salvation numerous times throughout my life. I mean, really on a daily basis. And the more that my life has, has matured, expanded, and grown, and the more aspects of my life have, have branched out, I mean, you can do things like, like you, you can start a business, you could get married, have children, all of these things. These things are additions to your life, and those things come with trials and issues and, and challenges, and God saves through all of those things. I've come to know God's salvation more and more and more and more, the more defined my life has become by other and new aspects of living. So when we define salvation, I think it's important to to not limit it to a one-time moment of being born again, but to realize what it is by its definition. I've I've mentioned before when we study the Word, uh, you know, if if you're putting together a library to study, obviously a a good translation of the Scripture is important, a concordance is important, it's kind of like a dictionary for the Bible, all the words that are used in the Bible 
has their original meanings in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And then I also say, if you're going to put together a library, have just a, a regular English dictionary. I mean, to understand the Word of God, we need to understand the words that make up the Word. So we just go to the dictionary for this, to look up the word salvation. If we need the helmet of salvation in order to resist the schemes of the devil, I want to know what salvation is. So if you turn to the dictionary, look up the word salvation, you get this powerful definition. It's short, it's simple. Preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. Preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. When you consider this word, that God's bringing salvation as a part of, of all of our equipping to resist the devil, it's a really powerful thing to consider. That God is calling me to understand and to know that a part of my daily being, a part of my daily attire, the armor as it's used in this example, the thing that we equip ourselves with in order to go and function as we're called to function, is the understanding that we walk in salvation, preservation, or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. Now, it's interesting to me that this would be the, the helmet. That it wouldn't be the sword of salvation or the shield of salvation or, or the, you know, the, the shoes of salvation or belt of salvation. You get, you get the picture. But it's specific that it's the helmet of salvation. I mean, I, I just think about that for a moment and I begin to just ask myself simple questions. Like, what's a helmet do? I mean, I've worn a helmet and playing sports and other things and I can tell you it, it protected my, my head. And I have to ask myself then, well, why should you protect your head? Well, because that's where your, your brain is, you know? Well, why is that important? Well, because that, that affects the rest of your, your body. I want you to consider the importance of something as we look at the helmet of salvation, that God is looking to protect and preserve your mind with salvation. Protecting and preserving your mind with salvation. Salvation being that preservation or that deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. God, through salvation, is keeping you from losing your mind. And I can tell you today, there are attempts around every corner to cause people to lose their minds. In fact, I think a lot of people have lost them. I want to give you God's plan for your life. I'm going to give it to you out of the Psalms here as it concerns salvation, you know, that preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. That thing that God gives us in his armor to protect our mind. God's plan for my life reads something like this, and I think it probably would apply to yours as well, but I won't be uh, presumptive. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in your day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. That pretty much defines Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You get where I'm going with this. It pretty much defines every single day of my life. Now, Jesus said every day is going to have trouble. He said don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to have its own trouble. You know. I mean, So I think those are, are things that are relieving to consider. 
You know, I mean, honest, honestly, there have been times in the past where when I had trouble, I thought it meant I wasn't a good Christian or something like that. The truth is Christians have trouble. Every day of your life, there's going to be trouble to deal with. Now, how we deal with that is greatly affected by our Christianity. We don't deal with that, that trouble the same way the world deals with it. But God's plan for my life includes salvation. Call upon me in your day of trouble and I will rescue you. I will preserve you or deliver you from harm, ruin, or loss. That definition of salvation. Call upon me in your day of trouble and I will preserve you or deliver you from harm, ruin, or loss and you will honor me. So all of this salvation that God is bringing into my life is meant to have an impact. It's meant to have an effect. I mean, the idea that I'm called to resist the devil and I'm given all of the equipment necessary and that salvation is to affect my mind. It's the helmet of salvation. I, I, it causes me to pause and, and ask why. The same way that I would ask why about wearing the helmet playing sports. Your thinking is very important. I mean, your, your thoughts are extremely important. I want to share with you a couple of passages of scripture on why God would, would, would protect our thinking with the helmet of salvation. Why he would protect it from harm, ruin, or loss with the helmet of salvation from the Proverbs. Proverbs 23 verse 7. Proverbs 23 verse 7 reads like this. For as a man thinks, so he is. Your thoughts make up who you are. I'll give you a, a passage of scripture. I'm going to need to confirm that I give you the right address. It's from the book of Numbers. And if I had to guess, I would say it's from Numbers 33. Hmm. Who's got a phone? Who's got a phone with a Bible app? Who's got it? Do you have one? Do you have one? Will you look up, do a word search for me? Do a word search for the word grasshoppers. <laughs> do a word search for the word grasshoppers. Let me tell you what you come up with. 1333. Is that what it is? Is that not what I said? I said 33. I was going to say 3313. 1333. Yeah, Numbers, is it Numbers 1333? Okay, Numbers 1333. So there we go. We've got all that done. Did you get to type grasshoppers in your phone? Did it bring anything up? Hey, there you go. Okay, so Numbers 1330. So you have a group of people that have been given an assignment, an assignment to go and, and look out over all of God's promises and see how incredible they are. All of these people are sent out to, to do this, this task. And when they come back, they give their report, and it's this wonderful report. But then there's this inconsistency that comes in. Now, you have to understand what makes this a, an interesting example. This is a group of people that have just seen the most incredibly powerful miracles result in their liberation. They've gone from slavery and despair to prosperity and promise. I mean, they've gone from, from being in bondage to walking in the, the fullness of freedom and liberty. They've seen God deliver them from incredible things. And when they go to look at the promises of God, they see resistance. And when they see resistance, something happens. Something happens 
up here in their thinking. They see the resistance and they make this comment. They, they make the comment, we saw resistance, we became like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we became like grasshoppers in the eyes of our enemies. How we thought about ourselves is how we became. How we viewed ourselves is how our enemy viewed us. Or you could say Proverbs 23, 7, as we thought within ourselves, so we were. I mean, how you perceive what is going on, how you think about what's going on, the thoughts that are going through your head are powerful. They are going to define who you are, who I am, who we are. There's a reason why there's such an attempt to affect your thinking. Every time you turn on the television, an attempt to affect your thinking. Every time you turn on the radio, an attempt to affect your thinking. Because as you think, so you will be. If I can get you to think that this political party is the right political party, then that's the political party that you'll belong to. If I can get you to think that this product is the product you should buy, well, then you're going to become a customer. If I can get you to think that way, it's how you'll be. God is protecting our thinking because our thinking affects who we are. And he's protecting it with the helmet of salvation. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of Romans here. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you'll prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I love to, to look at those scriptures and, and analyze them forwards and backwards. And I mean, if I run this one backwards, it, it's going to reveal some wonderful and powerful things. I mean, to know what's perfect and what's acceptable to God, to know what's good, to know what the will of God is, it's going to require the renewal of my mind. That which transforms me or sets me apart from the rest of the world. The rest of the world that's trying to get in my head and tell me how to think. So this renewal of the mind is something that is meant to take place in the life of every believer. To be transformed from the way the world looks and perceives and thinks and responds. And I have to ask myself, and I do, I ask myself this and I would encourage you to ask the same. Do I look different than the world? When you give me political topics, when you hand me current news, when I'm interpreting the information that is coming my way to affect the way I think, am I processing that through the scripture? Am I processing that through Jesus? Or am I processing that through the world? If I'm processing it through the world, then we're going to have a problem. It's going to be very difficult for me to have that renewed mind that allows me to prove what God's will is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, if I process it the way the world processes it, well, I might be popular, but there's a lot of people that are going to be wrong. The renewal of our mind is important. You know, this passage of Scripture affected me even before I was a believer. I remember being young and praying and asking God, renew my mind. Will you renew my mind? Will you renew my mind? This was something I used to pray and ask. Will you filter my thoughts by the Holy Spirit? I mean, this thing is an interesting thing to pray. I'm not sharing that with you to, to put my mentality on a pedestal, but just to let you know these are things that ought to be in our thought life. They ought to be in our prayer life. God, influence my thoughts. 
Help me to think with a renewed mind so that I can prove what your will is, so that I can do the things that are good, acceptable, and perfect, so that I won't be swept away with the rest of the world, but that I could actually stand with my thinking guarded by the helmet of salvation and resist all that is evil. Healthy thinking is from God. Healthy thinking is from God. I'll give you a passage of Scripture out of 2 Timothy. I told you before we're going to find out what God gives. Now, God gives many, many things, but you're going to see something specific here that God gives that greatly applies to this message. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Now, the passage reads like this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. I have claimed that passage of scripture for many people. (laughs) God, they're crazy. Bless them with soundness of mind. So this passage of scripture, we could spend the rest of our time just just breaking down how how powerful and how many wonderful effects are the result of it. I want to break down the, the passage slightly. We won't go into it in too much depth, but, but one, we see that God is, is giving these things. I mean, he's not given us fear, but he's given us power, love, and soundness of mind. Another thing that's interesting to me, <clears throat> and I share this with you because of that. It's, it's just simply interesting to me. I'm not making something big out of it. I'm just saying it's something to think about. That power, love, and soundness of mind are given in contradiction to Fear. I mean, if I feel fear influencing my life in any way, what I need is three things. God, I need the power, I need the love, and I need the soundness of mind that will leave no room for this fear to exist in my life. And then there's even another thing to consider, that God is giving power, love, and soundness of mind, not only in response to fear or contradiction to fear, but in contradiction to the spirit of fear. Which makes me pause and ask myself, is soundness of mind a spirit? Do you contradict the spirit of fear with the spirit of power, which is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of love, which God is love and God is spirit, and then the spirit of soundness of mind? Well, it would make sense to me because the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, that we have the mind of Christ. So I look at these things and I think this is a spiritual thing. I don't think that healthy thinking is the result of going to the local library and and reading more. I I think you can gain knowledge that way, but I don't think that means your thoughts are going to be stable and healthy. This isn't an academic issue. It is a spiritual issue. And when I look at some of the most insane things that are going on in our country today, I see that coming from the universities and the the educated, those who celebrate higher learning. And I think, well, higher learning can fly a kite (laughs) if it leads you to behave like that. So this isn't an academic issue, it's a spiritual issue. Healthy thought process and, and, and healthy thinking That soundness of mind that God promises is definitely a spiritual issue. I want to give you a a passage of scripture that's the enemy of stable thinking. The enemy of healthy thinking. I mean, 
if healthy thinking is something that's hard to come by, this passage of Scripture will, will reveal what, what hinders it. And if it's something that exists in your life, we'll, we'll also look at how to deal with that. I want to look in the book of James. James chapter 1. I want to start in verse 2 and we'll, we'll read through verse 8. The book of James uh, chapter 1. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, that's problems, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you might be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. But if any of you is without wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. Now, here's the part that I want us to see. This is what applies to to thinking. But that person must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man should not expect to receive anything from God, being a double-minded person, unstable in all of their ways. And that's really the the passage that I want to look at here. I mean, it's talking about doubt, doubt introducing this, uh, this mentality that is used, uh, the example used, excuse me, is like the sea that's being driven by the wind. I mean, the sea is there, it's the sea. The wind is an outside influence that pushes it one direction or the other. I mean, right now, if you were to ask me, Preston, give me an example of the wind in our culture today. I'd say the news. The news is the wind. Turning on the local news, and if you want to use a term like gas bag or something like that, well, you'd be welcome to, but it's wind, and it's trying to push this way or push that way, and it's driving the sea one direction or another. And the foundation of all of that is in doubt. To plant doubt into a person's mind is to make that person vulnerable to be moved or changed or transformed. Right now, people have doubts put in their heart and in their mind by our media and everything that is, is, is public as far as information is concerned. Doubts that, that God is real, that the scripture is sound. Doubts that, that Jesus uh, lives. Doubts that Jesus is king. I mean, all of these things ultimately are to sow doubt in order to make people change. And the scripture promises this in the end. The word calls it a great falling away. Meaning people who once believed and I mean believed wholeheartedly, we're all in, will stop believing. What would make them do that? I mean, are they going to put something in the water? I don't think so. The sowing of doubt through information and the affecting of how people think will lead to a falling away. And if you ask me just my opinion, I think it started. So there's something that I want to consider here, that this, this outside influence that introduces these things by doubt creates a situation where people become then ineffective. I, I love the last part of this passage. The one that is double-minded, the one that has doubt and becomes double-minded is unstable in all of their ways. Now, if, if I were reading this in my Bible, I would be circling that word all. Because my thought process would be that someone who's double-minded, you know, well, they, they believe God one day and then they don't the next day, and they believe him the next day, and then the day after that they don't. I would think that that person would be stable half the time. But according to the scripture, 
that introduction of double-mindedness and instability makes us unstable all of the time. Which then causes me to realize, no wonder there's such an attempt to bring doubt into my life. No wonder there's such an attempt to bring doubt into your life. No wonder we need the helmet of salvation to protect our minds from all of that doubt that is being pumped into our households that will ultimately make us unstable in all of our ways, in everything we do. So I want to look at, at what do we do? How do we deal with this? I mean, what happens if that doubt already exists in my heart? I mean, that helmet is meant to protect my mind, but what if I already have issues? I want to look at a couple of, of passages of Scripture here. Uh, James chapter 4, I want to look at verse 6. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, it reads like this. God is, <clears throat> excuse me, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Now, here are these instructions that I want you to catch. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I mean, it's interesting to me that these things are being addressed, and, and you're seeing uh, instruction in how to deal with these things. I mean, sin issues in my life, cleanse your hands. Double-mindedness in my life, purify your hearts. I don't want to dwell on that too long, but I want to offer this as a thought to you. Double-mindedness in my thinking is a heart issue. Double-mindedness in my thinking is a heart issue. Again, that's why academics won't help it. You know, I mean, it's interesting to me that our answer to most things as Christians is write a book, you know. And you can walk through all the Christian bookstores and you can see all of the books. And I'm, I, I have nothing against that. I think there's some great material out there. But if we only address things academically, then we're forced to, to, to continue to struggle with those things because these are issues that are spiritual issues in the heart. Double-mindedness is an issue of the heart. When James writes to us to deal with it, to deal with double-mindedness, he calls for a purification of the heart. And rightfully so, because Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, around verse 19, says that all of our sin issues come from the heart. He lists a lot of them, murders and fornications and evil thoughts and all of these things. So I want to examine something that God is doing as he's leading us and as he's guiding us, as he's directing us. I want to give you a passage of scripture because I think it's important to understand what God's doing and where we're going as he's raising us up as his children. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. It's, it's a blessing, you know, I mean, it, it opens up with may the Lord. Now, it's something that, that is being wished upon the reader or the person who's receiving this. The same way that I might say, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the stability of Jesus Christ. The stability, meaning not double-minded, not going back and forth, not being high and low, not up and down, not, not ecstatic 
and happy one day and joyful one day and depressed the next day and then joyful and then depressed and joyful and then depressed. But stability, not being double-minded. God is directing our hearts into this. He's dealing with that heart issue so that we can stop being double-minded, so that we can wear the helmet of salvation and resist all the evil that's coming against us. I want to give you an example from the scripture quickly of of what a doubt-free mind sounds like, what it looks like, but specifically what it sounds like. And I want to pull this from the scripture, and I'm going to ask for the liberty to paraphrase. I mean, it involves just kind of telling a story, and and I want you to visit the story in your own time. You can can read it in your own time. But it comes from Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Now, we're facing some similar challenges that that are being revealed here in Daniel chapter 3 today. When you have all kinds of outside influences sowing doubt into your life, attempting you to change, attempting you to move, attempting you to to quit worshiping uh, Jesus and start uh, worshiping the state or or however you choose or however you see fit. And by the way, I want to let you know something. that There's information that I have personally from my youth that is concerning to me when I look at what's going on today. My father was in ministry for many years. Early on in his ministry, he, he did a lot of missions work, and a lot of his missions work moved over into what was the former Soviet Union when the Iron Curtain fell. When the Iron Curtain fell, he got the opportunity to go and to minister, and as he was ministering, he told me you know, a, a number of stories, and one of the stories was he stood in, in a town square, and, and he just stood on, on a, a bench, and he just began to pray. And people began to gather around and he began to preach. But as he was praying, specifically, there was one older woman who was weeping uncontrollably. uncontrollably, excuse me. And, and as the, the meeting dispersed, she remained and, and he went to go and speak with her. It was obvious that God was doing something in her life. And he spoke to her, and, and through, through a translator, they engaged in a conversation. And, and what was revealed was how much it meant to her to see my father stand on that bench in public and pray in the name of Jesus. Now, we take that for granted here. We really do, you know. And when, when he asked, why is that so significant to you? She, she said, because that's where he stood. Now, she wasn't talking about Jesus. Well, who? Well, that's where the, the, the soldier stood. And when she was a little girl, the soldiers moved into the village. He stood right there in the middle of the town. They gathered all of the Bibles and all of the icons and relics and things out of the church. They put them in a coffin and they buried them and said, God is dead. The state is now your God. And I got to say, when you see a 70% approval rating for a Marxist organization in the United States of America, it's concerning. That some of the things we see in the scripture, and we used to think, wow, once upon a time. Now we see, no, God put this in here as an example for us today. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is founded upon the history. This is real history. It's recorded. It's not a made-up story. It's not fictional. It's not once upon a time. It actually happened. 
Daniel chapter 3 involves a, a group of men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are serving as POWs. They're prisoners of war. But because of the favor of God on their lives, they rise up through the ranks. Can you imagine being kidnapped by ISIS and then becoming second, third, and fourth in charge? I mean, that's what it is, basically. These guys were led into exile. They were POWs, and because of the exceptional favor of God on their lives, they continued to rise through the ranks. It's really wild when you consider it. And the king that they're serving is, is very, very arrogant. And, and, and in his arrogance, he erects a statue, and it's some 90 feet tall and, and, and 9 feet wide. It's made out of gold, and, and it's set up for all to see it. And he makes this declaration that whenever anyone hears the music play, everyone has to bow down and worship the image that he created. And I've shown pictures before recently of some of the, the events, sporting events, where everyone is kneeling for, for certain political purposes, and you'll see one person standing, and it constantly draws me back to Daniel chapter 3. And the music fires up. The king makes the declaration, if you don't bow down, you're going to die. And it's not going to be pleasant. You're going to burn to death. We're going to fire up the oven and we're going to throw you in. And everyone is put in this position where fear is put into their life for the purpose of introducing doubt, for the purpose of changing how they're going to respond, changing who they are. Because as someone thinks, so they are. And the music starts up and everyone bows down, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand. Now, I'm paraphrasing this to move quickly. I really want you to read through it in your own time. It really applies to what we're walking through today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken to the king, and the king likes these guys. I mean, he's promoted these guys. He, he, he isn't, they're not enemies. He, he thinks these guys are great. And so he says, hey, listen, guys, maybe you didn't get the memo. I mean, I'm paraphrasing greatly. But it's like, I don't, maybe you just didn't hear about it. But, you know, when that music plays, you're supposed to bow down. And, and honor the image that I created. <clears throat> and they stand there and they say, well, we, we got the memo. I mean, we, we did. We, we saw it. We just can't do that. You do understand that if you don't do that, this is the king talking now, that, that the oven's going to fire up and you're going to be thrown in. It, we, we do understand that. Uh, <clears throat> we just can't do it. And so they play the music. And when they play the music, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they, they stand. They don't give in. They're, they're not moved by the information that is trying to influence who they are. But the helmet of salvation, so to speak, has protected them from being influenced to move from the place that they know God's called them to stand. And when the music plays, they stand. And the word goes out of its way to communicate that the king changes. The once gracious, oh, maybe you didn't get the memo. It says his demeanor changes. His face becomes enraged. And he commands for the oven to be heated seven times hotter than it would normally be heated. He tells his soldiers to bind them up and they bind them, they tie them. And he commands the soldiers to throw them in. The oven is so hot that as the soldiers approach to throw them in, the soldiers are killed. But I want to tell you what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say before they're thrown into the oven. When they're faced with, with, with putting on the helmet of salvation and not being influenced by the doubt that would attempt to change them, they make a statement, and it's a statement that we need to notice and apply to our lives. They tell the king, your majesty, we understand what you're requiring of us, and we can't do it. 
our God can deliver us from this fate. And then they say this, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Now, that's the, that, those are the words. Now, these are the words that I am, am, am praying over and trying to influence my children with, that I speak into my marriage over all situations. Those words, even if. Even if are the words of the faith-filled. Even if are the words of those who wear the helmet of salvation. Even if are the words of those whose minds aren't plagued and burdened with doubt. Even if is the sound of those who are not double-minded. Even if. Because even if is a statement. I can tell you what, what you'll hear when you, when you see double-mindedness. I'll tell you what you hear when you see the, the helmet of salvation not worn. You'll hear what if. What if we run out of money? Well, what if they leave us? Well, what if that doesn't work out? Well, what? All of the fear and all of the doubt of the consequences of something failing will lead and direct the steps that you're called to take. But for those that aren't double-minded, they stand just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and in the face of even losing their own lives, can stand and say, even if, we're not going to change. Even if you shut down my business, I won't change. Even if you lock up my church, I won't change. I mean, I was so upset, and it led to a, a conversation that was less than enjoyable in my own household. We were driving our children to school one of them was talking about how he didn't like wearing the mask, and I told my son, if you don't like wearing the mask, you can take it off. And what I was told, but they'll suspend me. And it really upset me. It frustrated me. Now, I'm, I'm all in favor of trying to help people stay healthy and all of those things, but what bothered me was I became aware instantly of this agenda to affect the hearts of our children, to make them bow down or else, do this or else. Do this or else. And I'm telling you, there's never been a stronger time to be pumping our children with even if, even if, even if they suspend you, even if this, even if that, you stand your ground, do it righteously. I'm not raising rebels, I'm raising the righteous. And so as these men have stood on even if, not asking what if, well, what if God doesn't save us? It's going to cost us everything. What if, what if, what if? They're saying even if. Even if, even if this means our demise, even if this is the end, we won't bow, we're going to stand. And they're thrown into the fire. And immediately after being thrown into the fire, the word says the king gazes into the, the, the oven that's ablaze. And he turns and he asks those next to him, how many people did we throw in there? Wasn't it three? But I see four. And the fourth one is like the Son of God. And he cries out, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out. And they come out. And they're no longer tied up. Not a hair is singed, nor their cap, nor their robe. Nothing is burned on them except the ropes that bound them. They're gone. That's the power of the helmet of salvation. I mean, free thinking equals freedom. Not being put in bondage by fear and worry and doubt and the double-mindedness that makes us unstable all the time. But we have the mind of Christ to walk in the stability that God has called us to walk in that results in freedom. Because it is for freedom that he set us free. And when the king calls them out, they come out and the king begins to declare that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the true God. 
It's a wonderful thing to read, not just for the sake of history, but to be encouraged with how we're to be instructed to live today. How we can testify. How we can be uh, evangelists and how we're called to live with every decision, not being defined by what if, but being established by even if. And then I offered you this when we got into the word, this third thing we were going to find, how to stay mentally healthy. We get there, let's stay there. How to stay mentally healthy. I'll give you a passage of scripture as we close out of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. I want to look at verses 4 through 8. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. How to stay mentally healthy. It opens with this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I mean, that, that passage right there, you can just stop and consider what that means. The word always is absolute. That is, is the call upon my life, no matter who wins an election, no matter what's going on on the news, I have a call on my life to rejoice in Jesus because Jesus is bigger than anything that's going on on channel whatever right now. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and let your gentle spirit, not your panicked spirit, but your gentle spirit be known to all men, for the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then there's verse 8. And verse 8 to me is how you stay mentally healthy. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and there's anything worthy of praise, and all of that is Jesus, by the way, dwell on these things. I'll catch myself sometimes thinking about stuff. And I can just feel my strength and my energy being drained. And the more your strength and your energy is drained, the, the higher the likelihood for compromise in your choices and in your actions. And even this morning, a conversation was going on as we were preparing for church between me and my wife, and she was talking about something, and politely, praise God I was polite, <laughs> I just said, you know, we could spend our energy better talking about other things. I mean, I think this is, is what I was praying as a child. God, filter my thoughts. I mean, the scripture says, take every thought captive. Take it captive. I mean require that that thought be identified. What's its purpose? What are you doing here? Do you have any business here? Is there anything productive? Go down this checklist. Are you true? Are you honorable? Are you right? Are you pure? Are you lovely? Are you of good repute? Is there any excellence or anything worthy of praise in you, O thought? And if not, get out. That's how we stay mentally healthy. I'm trusting God to do great things. And I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray over us and I want to trust and believe God to do something incredible. I'm going to ask God to do a work in our hearts. Remember that double-mindedness is a heart issue. For God to do something in our hearts that will have an effect on our minds. 
And my desire is to see each of us wearing that armor that God has issued us to resist evil. And today we're discussing the helmet of salvation. To let God protect our thoughts with the promise that he will protect us from ruin or loss. I have to trust and believe that it was an understanding of that that equipped those men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to stand. That they knew and they were acquainted with the salvation of God. That no matter what they faced, no matter what they dealt with, that God would protect them from that wound or that hurt or that loss that was threatening them. I want that for each of us. There where you stand, I want to invite you to, to be in a state of agreement or just in a state of receiving as we pray together. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of truth in our lives. And we surrender, Father, to the effect of your word. We desire to see something incredible take place in each one of us that will have a profound effect on who we are. We ask, Father, in Jesus' name for a work to be done in each heart. That as we stand here in agreement together, there may be a purification of our hearts by your spirit. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that we can call upon, your mercy and your grace, forgiveness. And we ask now in Jesus' name for that purification, which would wash over our hearts and have a profound effect on our mind. Let there be no room for doubt that double-mindedness would not have an effect on your people, but that we would stand firm not asking what if, but standing upon even if in every situation and in every circumstance, completely surrendered to the truth that you are our God who saves, that you are our salvation, that you protect and that you deliver from all hurt, ruin, and loss. Let us stand firm in such a way that would bring you honor and glory and let us take up the helmet of salvation and have our minds guarded and protected by that understanding that you will never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. And with our thoughts protected, with our hearts purified, let us make the choices and the decisions that bring you honor and glory. We bless your name and we give you thanks for this powerful work in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.